0: Welcome to It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. On today's episode of It's Time, we'll listen to Senior Pastor Mike Kessler as he teaches in the book of 2 Samuel. This book is especially important as it focuses entirely on the life of King David, the line of Christ. Examining the triumphs and troubles of David, we can learn a lot about being a person after God's own heart. With the timely study on 2 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. We gotta do something.
1: We've gotta make peace with Joshua and his God. Now it's interesting, it's interesting. The name Joshua in the in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, means God's salvation. The name Joshua in the Greek is the word Jesus. Oh. So all of a sudden you have the Gibeonites, i.e. like us, realizing That there is, God's going to do something. We're going to die unless we do something about it. We go and make peace with Joshua and understanding what God says. And you know what? Joshua let them live. And they became servants in the house of God. What are we going to be someday when we die and go to heaven? Anybody know? Servants in the house of God. I like that. And I don't ever, friends, want to be free from that. That's something I want to do. Now, we're not going to have to worry about getting sleepy anymore or getting hungry anymore. The Bible says, by the way, there's a lot of things that aren't going to be in heaven that we find here on this earth. But there's a lot of things that are. And food is one of them that's going to be in heaven. I like that. In fact, there are fruit trees that bear all the time. I like that. The Bible says there's a crystal sea. So all you water lovers, you're going to be at home there. Uh, Maybe people that like to jet ski, like to water ski. You're not even going to need a boat, man. I mean, Jesus walked in the water. Hey, I want to try that. But a lot of the stuff that we don't want in heaven, the stuff that we've seen ruin our lives and ruin people, that's all not going to be there. But there's going to be food in heaven. There's a sea in heaven. Jesus is going to be there most of all. And the Bible says we're going to be servants in his kingdom. And I like that. Now, again, to be a servant in the kingdom of God, let me tell you, friends, that is royalty. Um, You know, when when you were growing up, remember when you were growing up, you were servants in your dad's house? Daddy'd say, dump the garbage, and we'd dump the garbage. Remember, daddy'd say, we're going to go get an ice cream cone. We'd go get an ice cream cone. Being a servant in, in your dad's house ain't a bad thing. Well, well, that's the same thing. We're going to be servants in that. So anyway, look at this. So uh, he said, so the answer Joshua and said, because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands, do it as it seems good to you, uh, 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 and to us. And so he did to them, delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, so they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters, water carriers, congregation for the altar of God in the place where he chose, even to this day. And what it means to even to this day is to the day of this writing. Uh, people say, well, I don't know where they're doing this right now in Israel. It's not talking about to this day, it's talking about the day of the writing, okay? But I look at this and I realize something. Uh, some of us are actually operating in this role right now. Uh, you're water carriers. What does a dry and thirsty heart need? Living water. You're a water carrier. I like that. And woodcutters. You know what? You know, a lot of times uh, that that's woodcutters did a lot of things. A lot of it was to keep the fire going in the temple. Sometimes it was for other things. But, you know, I'll tell you something. God's got a purpose for each one of us. So, okay, let's go back over to uh, 2 Samuel. And we'll read more about these Gibeonites now that you know who the Gibeonites are. See, it's kind of hard to say, oh, yeah, yeah, Gibeonites, yeah, okay. And not really know the history of these guys. Because, again, it's so important to know how God views a covenant. No, notice, the, okay, we go back to this. And so... so um the, the famine was on the land, verse 1 again, because of Saul, his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So so the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were um, not of the children of Israel, but a remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, that's what we just read, But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Notice it doesn't say his zeal for God. It was for the He was trying to make brownie points. It was a political stand that he was trying to do to get people behind him. Well, Saul's going out now and killing all of our enemies. But he didn't realize that, again, there was a covenant with these people. And, you know, it's interesting. Just as Saul, first of all, had no regard for God, he had no regard for any of the covenants of God with people as well. This is why, again, David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man after man's heart. And what a difference that was. Therefore, verse 3, David said to the Gibeonites, what do you want me to do for you? And, and what shall I do to make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? What, may, what can I do for you that, you'd, you that you'll you know, bless Israel again? Again, there was a tremendous encroachment here, friends. That encroachment was that Saul did not value the sworn oath before God that that Israel would protect the Gibeonites. Instead, they turned on him and destroyed him when they were really, you might say, an ally or a friend, and they were servants to the Lord. Now, this isn't the first time that Saul went after the servants of the Lord. Remember when he killed the priests, if you guys think back a little bit, when the priests kind of helped David out? Well, the Gibeonites said to him, we don't want any gold or silver from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. And David said, whatever you say, that'll do for you. Notice it says here, we don't want any gold, we don't want any silver. Now, at this point, they could have said, we don't want to be servants anymore in the house of God. We don't want that anymore. We don't want to be slaves anymore. And as a matter of fact, we want a lot of money too. Now, if this was down in, in, in today's books, everybody would be so happy and, and, I want this and I want that. But you know, they said, We don't want any gold. We don't want any silver. Um, we don't want you to kill anybody. So they answered the king As for the man who condemned us and plotted against us, that we would be destroyed from the remnant of. In any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will do it. I'll give them." Now, this is interesting. They said, we don't want you to kill them. We'll do this. We were wronged, and this is the way we want to have it done. Now, what's interesting here, this isn't something God told them to do. This is something that the Gibeonites felt was just cause for what had happened to them. Because again, Saul wasted so many of the Gibeonites and nearly cut off their posterity uh, uh, for generations to come. So this is one of the reasons why uh, this seems to be severe. They said, well, you, you wiped out our inheritance. We want to wipe out Saul's. Now again, friends, when we look at this, we begin to understand some things. When we come to God, we realize that we have committed terrible sins against the Lord. And our sins are all worthy of death. They just are. We're we're worthy to die for what we've done wrong. But you know what? Jesus became the sacrificial substitute for us. And so it's interesting here, they recognize that the encroachment required someone to die. So David said, I will do it. Verse 7, But the king spared Mishibbeth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath was between them, between David and Jonathan and the son of Saul. Now remember, Mesibabeth, he was the little boy that uh, when, when they were being attacked, the nurse dropped him and, and he became lame on his feet. And, and so he couldn't walk. And when it was all said and done, David comes to the throne. We remember old Masibabeth. David found out that there was uh, Jonathan's, his best friend's son, still alive, and 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 so he called for him. And Masibabeth, was, you know, was scared to death because it was customary in those days that if you were a king that took over, you killed any of the rivals that were there. Now, uh, what's amazing is that rather than David wanting to kill Masibabeth, um, Saul's grandson, he blessed him. In fact, he said, from now on, Miss Beth, you're going to eat at my table. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to restore all the land back to you. We're going to let Ziba, you remember that guy, Ziba is going to be your hired hand. He's going to be the guy, he's going to kind of be your general manager. And, and when you make all the money off the crops, he's going to give it to you. And from now on, you're going to, you're going to and here's poor old Miss thought he was going to die. He comes into the throne of the king only to turn around and be blessed. You know, it's the same way it is with us. A lot of people are scared to get close to God. They think God's going to fry them, you know. Hey, there's somebody I've been looking for for a long time. Where's my mallet? I want to whack that person. A lot of people think about God like that. But you know what? When you come to God in humility, you know, God lifts you up and blesses you and restores you. You know, the Bible says He restores the years the cankerworm has eaten. Now, you don't have to be very old to have the cankerworm take a pretty big chunk out of life in your heart. The Bible says God will restore that. And he'll take away the imitation and the phony and give you the real thing. And friends, if there's anything that we need in our lives, we need the real thing. We don't need phonies anymore. Well, David honored that oath. And so he spared Mesibabeth from going there. Um, so the king took Armoni uh, and Mesibabeth, not not, not Mesibabeth, but Mesibabeth, "...the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ashi, whom the, whom she bore to Saul, the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Brazili, the Metholite." you can say those at home. Practice those. "...and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord." And so they fell, all seven together. They were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Rizpah, the daughter of of Ahai, took the sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from beginning of harvest until the late rains uh, poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on the bodies of on them uh day nor night uh day nor the beast of the field by night. And so uh, what happened was they they uh, basically killed these guys, chained them up and just left them there. Uh they didn't bury them, they just left them out there. Uh and so the mom of one of them went out there and so um it's interesting that that in the middle of this she, it doesn't we don't find any words of her condemning uh David for allowing this to happen or for anything. And I think you know a lot of times Um, she probably knew that it was coming. You know, a a lot of times these tetrarchs that reign, we see um, some of the things that went on with Saddam Hussein's two sons. And we see what these guys were like and the lifestyles they lived and what they did to other people. And, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting that they didn't do anything to prevent or stop the tyranny of what they were doing. And, And it's interesting, we remember the story about about uh, uh, Joshua and the battle of Jericho. We remember, remember that that uh, one of the guys took some uh, some gold bars and, and hit him under his, under his tent with some garments. And uh, the next battle, Joshua lost with Israel. And, and Joshua goes to the Lord and says, Hey God, what's going on? And God says, It ain't my fault, it's yours. Somebody in your camp has taken the forbidden things. The gold was supposed to go into the house of the Lord and the garments were to be burned. Evidently, it could have been contaminated and so anyway, they lined up everybody by tribes, and as they went down, and you'd think the guy that stole the stuff would start saying, hey, this is kind of weird that it fell on my family. Whoa, it fell on my dad. Whoa, it fell on me. You know, the guy never repented. He never tried to repent. Every time as they divided the, 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 the tribes of Israel up, they cast lots and found it fell on his tribe. Well you'd think oh oh i 've been found out. Well, maybe I can skirt this. then it fell on his family, then it finally fell on him and and, and so uh, we, we remember Joshua went up to him and said, "What have you done?" And he says, "Well, oh, I took some gold bars and some garments that are under my tent and, and what 's really strange is people say well so they, they 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 sure enough they went and found out and and they brought the stuff back to joshua and and uh um they took him and his whole family and went out and killed them all. And I, I heard people say, well, what kind of a God is it that killed the whole family because of what the dad did? Well, friends, let me tell you something. They didn't have multi-room tents in those days. Oh, we have this beautiful 3,500 square foot tent. Here's the bathroom, and here's the little boy's room, and here's the girl's room. And here's where we hide all the stuff we ripped off underneath the tent here. And, and no, 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 they lived in a tent. I don't know whether it looked like an Indian teepee or whether it whether it had some kind of form like what we might see on a on a camp trip, but but whatever it was, the whole family lived there, and no doubt the kids go, "Hey, Dad, what's all this new digging going on?" you oh, "That's just some gold I ripped off." It would be pretty hard, friends, over the period of time that it talks about there for the whole family that lived under that tent to not know what their dad did, and nobody did anything to correct it. And so because they became part of the corruption, they got the same judgment as the corruption. And I believe it was probably the same thing here. They knew that what they were doing was wrong. They didn't do anything to stop Saul or even mention it. That, hey, we're not supposed to attack the Gibeonites. There's a a covenant with them, with God. Don't don't touch them. But they didn't do anything. And so the judgment fell on them. And the Bible says they hung from morning till night until the rain came. And so this mother went out and kept the birds from pecking away at him and the beast at night coming and gnawing on him. That was her job, she felt, to do that. Well, I understand that kind of relationship and stuff. Well, David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ashadid, did and the concubine, the, the, the concubine of Saul had done. And interesting here, David has compassion concerning this as well I, i'm sure david when he went to them saying what do you want he probably never dreamed that they'd say we want seven descendants of saul david went and took the bones of saul and the bones of jonathan his son from the men of jabeth gilead who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan. now that's where uh, 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 saul had been killed and beheaded and we remembered that they were put there. And so some guys uh, from Israel went over and stole the body away from the Philistines and, and took it and, and, and put it where, where, with them. And so, so now we find David going and getting it where the Philistines had hung them up and after the Philistines had struck down Saul at Gilboa, so they brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son from there, and they gathered up the bones of those who had been hanged. So uh, we find really a total of nine people here now. The seven that were were, were killed, we find the, uh, Saul and his son Jonathan, and they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, uh, his son, in the country of, the, of Benjamin in Zelah, in the tomb of Kish's father. And so they performed all the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. Uh, It's interesting here that uh, this is what was needed. Um, Again, people think a lot of times, hey, my sins don't follow me. Hey, your sins do follow you. They'll follow you into eternity unless God lays a root to that ax. And that's really an important thing. Well, we find in verse 15 here, and a little bit of a gear change, we find Saul uh, by the way, David now is getting uh, on in years. we remember he started off with Goliath killing killing giants. Well, we find the giants are still around and so when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, that David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. This shows David getting older, it shows that he couldn't keep up with the battle then ish uh, then uh, benob Kind of an interesting name, isn't it? Anyway, um, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought that he could kill David. Now, again, uh, it's interesting here that um, there were giants in the land of, of the Philistines. But Abishai... The son of Zorah came, and we find Abishai interlaced through uh, the last few chapters. Anyway, Uh, the son of Zorah came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. And the men of David swore to him, saying, "You shall not go out any more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel." Speaking that, if you die, that which unites Israel will will be gone. So you're not going to come out to battle with us anymore. You're getting old, David. You know you need to be uh, getting that Winnebago and you know doing something else. Kind of retiring a little bit here. You don't need to be out here now. There's some people that actually believe here that um, uh, Abishai actually came to his aid, and there's some words here that would seem to almost indicate that it may very well be that as as the giant came after him, that Abishai uh, stood in David's place and killed the giant. Because there's other some other verses that seem to indicate that David killed this guy, but actually it was that which uh, he was acting as a as a ambassador for David. Uh, You know, David you know couldn't fight him, so Abishai went in and and came to his defense. Well, it happened afterwards that there was a war again, a battle with the Philistines at Gob, and Sibbalaka and and hush uh, haika kill Sapeth, who was one of the sons of the giant and there was a battle in Gob where with the Philistines were uh, ElHahana the son of boy these names Jerahoram the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite the shaft of whom the spear was like a weaver's beam so we find Goliath had, we remember that he had five brothers and no doubt he probably had relatives which were also of that gene of being tall and very much could have been because of of, um, selective breeding or whatever. There's a lot of things that uh, we find that that, uh, go on with these different countries uh, trying to make super war uh, type people. Um, Yet again, there was a battle in Gath and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers uh, on each hand busy, 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 Um, and um, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was born uh, to the giant, so I mean, give me high six, you know, (laughs) give me six, you know, I mean, that's weird, I mean, that's just something we don't normally see, going to the store and getting a pair of gloves would be an interesting thing, what size shoe does a person with six toes wear, anyway, he also was born of the giant. And so when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of of Shemith, the brother, literally uh, Shemiah, the brother of David, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath. They fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. And so again, by the hand of David, uh, possibly referencing back to Goliath or where uh, um, uh Abishai um, uh, interceded for him on his, on his behalf. Well, when we get into chapter 22 or thereabouts, uh, we'll get into the Psalm of David. And David giving glory to God for all the things that God had done in his life. And, and we look at David's life and we see not a perfect man, but we see a man who loved God. And in spite of his failures, he always knew where home was. He always knew where to go back and be refreshed and filled. You see, again, David was a person who made mistakes. Saul made mistakes too, but the problem is Saul didn't know God, didn't want to know God because Saul was self-consumed, where David always recognized that really ultimately is what God said is what really made the difference. And so tonight I pray that you understand that, that again, what a wonderful thing it is to be saved, not only from our sins of the past, but that they don't haunt us into the future. And so letting God, again, be the Lord of your life is such an important part. Not settling for an invitation, but letting God give you the real thing so much better. Well, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the opportunity again, God. We have to know you. How you desire, God, that that we would be able to, to Lord, have you do this work in our lives, God. The things that you have for us. And that we wouldn't be encumbered or or ripped off by a lie of the enemy. And so, Father, for each person here tonight, each person listening, may your Holy Spirit confirm to each one of us the work that you've begun in us, you will fulfill it. And so, Lord, we ask you, Lord, keep us wise to the ensnarements and the traps of the devil that we'll pray and we'll ask you when things look so good. But, Lord, we'll pray and see if that's really what you want for us and that we won't be fooled. And so, God, we again thank you and we praise you and ask you, God, that as we continue... To read your word, Lord, these things grow in our heart, Lord. They 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 satisfy that yearning to know, Lord, you. And so, God, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would just would just minister to us, Lord, as we worship in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: And that's Pastor Mike Kessler, senior pastor at the River Christian Fellowship, with Second Samuel on its time. If you'd like to have your own copy of today's episode, you can obtain one for free from the Daily iTunes podcast. If you want a hard copy, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order. And while you do that, don't forget that 2 Samuel is part 2 of the 1st and 2nd Samuel series available from the River Christian Fellowship. Please tune in next time for another relevant Bible study on It's Time. It's time.